Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat, we're going to delve into practical research-based advice on how to create a culture by design. Listen to learn how forward-thinking leaders can co-create thriving workplace cultures through powerful, meaningful micro-experiences. My guest this time is the awesome, fabulous, wonderful David Sturt, Executive Vice President at OC Tanner, a $500 million-plus global recognition and workplace culture company offering a suite of employee experience apps and solutions that connect people to purpose, accomplishment, and one another. In addition to his role over at OC Tanner, David is the New York Times best-selling author of Great Work, How to Make a Difference People Love and Appreciate, Celebrate People, Inspire Results. His work and interviews have been published in Harvard Business Review, The Wall Street Journal, Fortune and NPR. And he co-authors a weekly leadership column on Forbes.com. David has spoken at TEDx, and to over 30,000 business leaders at conferences and companies all around the world. David, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Can you share your thoughts around the, the linkages between culture, particularly company culture, and business outcomes? Sure. You know, I think in the past, people thought of culture as sort of this mysterious thing, this amorphous thing that just, that everyone knew existed. And in fact, uh, when I when I was pursuing my uh, degree in, in HR training and development, we did quite a bit of research around culture uh, back then. And it was, I think it viewed in the past as more of just the personality of the company and something you needed to navigate around and, you know, learning its quirks and differences and, and adjustments to be able to work in it and be effective in it. And I think over the last number of years, that, that mindset has shifted uh, toward a better understanding of culture's specific impact on outcomes and its impact on on whether or not people feel enabled to do their best work. And I, I find it interesting now that what used to be the purview primarily of HR, thinking about culture, now I'm seeing far more uh, business leaders, uh, even investment advisors, uh, that are speaking about culture's effect on the success and sustainability and, and, and long-term success of an organization and pointing to culture as a key driver of that ongoing success. Because culture, culture affects how we work, how we talk, how we interact with each other, how we, in fact, view the world, the language we use, and so even though it's invisible and harder to measure than other elements of, a, of an organization, it has this quiet, powerful effect on, on company results. And when you see cultures that turn sideways and sort of become toxic or start driving people away, um, you begin to see, not immediately, but you begin to see the residual effect uh, hitting uh, results and outcomes, and that 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 takes its place in 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 everything from revenues to profitability, uh, earlier upstream to engagement to productivity, 
And so it's a, it's a big deal. I think there's been more and more studies now that show when you do have a thriving culture, either at a team level or at an organization level, you, you regularly and predictably see better business outcomes. And so I think, I think in fact, I, I remember reading an article by, uh, by the CEO of uh, State Street Advisors. They, they, uh, they have a massive investment portfolio. I think it's over a trillion dollars now. And so they, they, they wield a, a pretty strong influence on their portfolio companies and the companies in which they take investment positions. And when I saw a, a letter from the CEO to all of their portfolio company CEOs talking about the impact of culture on outcomes, I thought, wow, if, if an investor who cares primarily about the bottom line is advising their portfolio companies on the impact and importance of paying attention to culture, then clearly now that linkage is known. Two big topics that have been covered a lot on this podcast over the course of uh, the last year since Q1 of of 2020 have been uh, work from home and have been the rise of the the gig economy, David. When, when, When we're talking about company culture and and the benefits that that can have on essentially on the bottom line right what are what are the additional challenges to an organization particularly to to an hr department and and, and um, at the leadership level at the, at the c level when it comes to trying to maintain a company culture that that drives productivity that that, that keeps everybody rowing in the same direction when people are disparate when they are working from home and now when you've got a blended or hybrid workforce a, a mixture of traditional employees with a traditional employee contract and then and then awesome exterior talent the, the gig workers who are, who are supplementing certain certain positions well, surely that's that's a very very difficult task isn't it <laughs> it is <laughs> it is a difficult task i mean it's it's been uh, it, it's taken a lot of effort from more forward-leading HR leaders to to get their arms around uh, being more intentional around shaping their cultures, and this this issue of uh, so many people right now working from home during this pandemic, um, it, it has really tested that resolve and made it more challenging for sure because there's just something inherent about what happens when people gather together in social settings. And and those interactions, for me, uh, really ultimately define the strength of culture. Culture is, is, is really all around the connections, the connections between people, the connections between what holds the group together, uh, between the team activity and the work. And so when when those physical connections are removed, you're really relying a lot on the connections that were formerly put in place. And, and there, is, there is undoubtedly a fracturing effect, a, a, a disconnection uh, that happens. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, we, we've just done a lot of research. Uh, in fact, last year, our, our huge annual uh, culture study was fielded uh, in, in the early stages of, uh, of most people that, that could, uh, as, they, as they work from home, trying to adapt to that and adjust to that. And so you, you, have, you have not only the organizational issues 
of not having people together and people feeling disconnected, uh, maybe more alone, more remote from what was comfortable and, 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 and really what they relied on from those social interactions. But at the same time, you have that disruption going on. You also have individuals feeling more disrupted, uh, disrupted by by their their schedules, by by those juggling family situations at home, um, and so yeah, it, it has been it has been a a massive disruption, and and has had, I think, a, a big impact on on particularly HR's efforts to try to create a sense of of of, of belonging, a sense of unity, a sense of a common shared uh, identity. And, and that's it. That's a big part, I think, of, of leaders' roles is to help develop that and make that strong so that people feel deeply connected to it. And so it, it has been challenging. And as you mentioned, uh, as we see uh, further expansions into the gig economy and, and, and relying on experts that are not on the payroll and, and not sitting with work teams, that, that, that requires, I think, extra thought uh, around what can we do to help those that are not technically part of the organization feel connection to it and feel that when they have a choice to exert that extra effort with with your organization versus a litany of potential others what what attracts them to bring their best work and their and their uh, their, their time and attention to your organization. And I, I think fortunately the, the principles behind what draws people into connect with an organization or a team, I think the principles are the same, whether they're an employee, whether they're part-time, whether they're there on site or whether they're remote or whether they're not an employee. We, we work uh, in, in our teams with several <clears throat> that are not employees, but, but boy, we want to create such a such a strong uh, a culture and 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 create an environment, whether that's virtual or physical, that draws people in, that helps people feel included, that fe- see see that see themselves as part of contributing to making a difference and furthering the cause uh, of our purpose. And so, I, I think it is challenging, and yet uh, I see some interesting things being done and. And, uh, and progress being made. You recently presented a session at the, the HRPA conference. Now, uh, for our listeners in the US, the HRPA are the, the biggest HR association in Ontario in wonderful Canada. They're also in other places, but Ontario certainly. Uh, you, you presented there a session called Traditional Leadership is Dead. That's a dramatic title, David. Can you tell me, can you tell me a bit about that session and how, and how leadership practices have changed as a result of the pandemic. Sure, sure, and yes, it is a it is a dramatic title, and yet <clears throat> we're we're seeing some real fundamental changes happening. And I I've studied leadership now for for many many years, and uh, and forever people have talked about these issues that are found in many companies, most companies around the world, where people are following leadership habits and practices that have been inherited from previous generations of leaders that goes back decades, centuries. 
and and the mindsets and behaviors associated with older style traditional leadership as i like to call it are are dying out and 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 even though for years we've talked about every cohort every age co cohort prefers a better leader prefers somebody who involves them in the decision making process who helps inspire them who helps uh, form uh, strong teams and, and set in place powerful and effective and thriving cultures. We, we all want that. And yet why on earth do we still find so much evidence of these old, outdated, traditional leadership practices? And I, I think so much of it is because it's just become ingrained that, that, that one sort of young, new, developing leader learns from their former leader who learned from their former leader and, and, and those old practices and behaviors become aspirational looking and, and therefore they, they end up modeling the behaviors to the next generation. And, and so it, it perpetuates. And, and what we have found is that despite people's wanting those changes in the past, there was simply not enough strength and power to overthrow the status quo, partly because most of the leaders at the top of every organization grew up modeling the old behaviors. And so there's some resistance to it. And I, I think that's part of why it's taken so long for these old practices of, of command and control and for making the decisions and from telling people what to do and de deciding who gets to know what the, the, these practices have, have remained. And yet here's what's changing. And here's what I spoke about at that conference. I'm seeing an actual sea change going on. It is a fundamental shift. And I think what's driving that shift are some of the powerful forces that are afoot that are, that are requiring a, a democratization of leadership. And, and I'm, I'm seeing it in, in lots of different ways and play out in different ways. One is younger, younger employees are simply rejecting these old leadership practices. I think people 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, entering the workforce took it as a given that they should just adapt and deal with whatever the company did and, and kind of they were at the command of the leader that they had and they had no power to affect that and change that. Well, those coming into the workforce today, not only millennials, but especially Gen Z, are they've grown up in an environment where they've had a voice and they have they have the ability to influence uh, who who tells them what to do and, and how they re react to that. And, and so younger employees are rejecting these older, these older practices. Another thing is that boomers are retiring at a massive pace. Uh, you know, it's, it's 10,000 people a day that are boomers are retiring. And that's been going on now for several years and will continue for the next several years. Well, often those are occupying leadership roles. And so as they vacate those leadership roles, that starts to open up different ways of leading. And as younger employees who were raised with a different mindset around leadership and teams, their mindsets are starting to be brought forward. 
And that's also starting to put pressure on some of these old outdated practices that just simply need to go. And, and then you, you couple that with some of these huge social movements that have, that have majorly disrupted and upended uh, uh, leaders, quite frankly, and some of their behaviors that were unacceptable all along, but that now people have a voice to call out. You look at the Me Too movement. You, you look at all of the, 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 the riots and, and, and uh, protests uh, through last summer around race and, and how we treat people. Um, I think people are discovering they have a voice. And, and though in a team setting and in a work setting, um, the team members have far outnumbered the leader, the manager. And yet I think now they're all starting to realize, you know what? We, what, what, what we care about matters too. And we're not just the puppets of the leader, but that, but that we have the opportunity to shape our team culture and to influence the work we do and to influence outcomes. We, forever we've talked about the power of collaboration. I, I see collaboration as a value on just about, you know, every wall of every major corporation I've been in all over the world. And, and in fact, what that's leading to is more power being invested and distributed amongst team members and not just being all given to 10% of the organization. And so with all of these forces, you get people deciding this is what we want and this is what we expect. And many leaders are caught in this perspective where what they, what they thought growing up a leader looked like is now quite different than what a leader is expected to do. And there's a gap. And I, I think uh, more leading edge companies are starting to really lean into this and figure out how do we help people, how do we help our leaders and all employees in the organization have a new perspective of what leadership should look like and have a stronger shared sense of what leadership, uh, of, of, of how leadership should be held and, uh, and, and um, developed by everyone in the organization. And, and when people feel that sense of ownership, that sense of shared responsibility, then they're more invested. And I think better things happen and you get better outcomes. And so it's a, for me, it's, leadership's a fascinating topic because so much of what has shaped our own perceptions of leadership have been, have been put in place by examples that go back thousands of years, even though our societies and our ways of interaction have fundamentally shifted. And, and, and therefore, we, we've got to pull that. We've got to change that and affect that. And then I think everybody wins. Leaders love how it feels when teams feel more accountable and responsible and, and individual team members feel way more uh, excited to go to work for a leader who, who sees their role not as a boss, not as a, not as a decision maker, as a teller of what to do, but as a facilitator, a coach, a mentor of how do we get better results. Awesome. Thank you. There we go, listeners. Uh, as a millennial myself, I, I can I can now say, well, 
David says that even though I'm a millennial, I'm not narcissistic and selfish. In fact, what I'm doing and what my generation are doing is uh, we are taking back the power and we are hoping to to change the workplace for the better. And uh, and our Gen Z cohorts in the early 20s are now coming through and joining us in the work environment and, and doing something similar. So boom, what about that? Love it. Um, hey, David, we've only got a few more minutes left. I can't believe this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna switch things up with you, and I'm gonna, as I sometimes do in these interviews, I'm, I'm gonna challenge you to answer a couple of questions here in sixty seconds or less each. Okay. Uh, the first one: How how can HR help leaders design effective one-to-one -one conversations with their direct reports? I think one of the biggest things they can do is help the leader understand that they need to help co-create the agenda of what gets talked about in those one-to-ones. Make them more casual, make them more like a real relationship. Uh, invite the both sides to, to, to put on the agenda, what do we wanna talk about? Because when it's all one-sided and lopsided, it, 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 it just shifts the whole conversation and it becomes mechanistic and nobody cares about it. Both sides need to contribute to what gets talked about, keep it casual and keep it more frequent. And I think you get much better results. David, that was like 45 seconds. You, you, you're, you're so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in, in, in normal circumstances, actually, I, I'd invite a much longer answer to the next question because it's an important one. However, we are we are limited on time, so perhaps I'll I'll get you back on the show pretty soon, and we can cover this in more length. But um, just for now, again, in about sixty seconds or less, what 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 else can can we all do out there as leaders, as HR pros, to help reduce employee burnout? So many folk right now are feeling stressed, they're feeling anxious, um, that they're, they're struggling. So what, what what can be done? What extra can be done to help? reduce the possibility of employee burnout? Yeah, that's a good question. And it is everywhere. It's rampant. And, and we're seeing some of the effects of that uh, show up uh, in healthcare systems. And I hear about this a lot. I think, I think one of the most important things is just talk about it. You know, in your team meetings, in your team huddles, talk about burnout. Sometimes managers are thinking that they, they shouldn't talk about it directly because somehow it's going to open a can of worms talk about it, talk about the realities of this, talk about when you as a leader have felt some burnout, talk about what you did to overcome that. I think sharing and being a little bit more vulnerable uh, around personal uh, issues and stories about how you're working your way through it gives license for others to feel like they can talk about it. In your one-to-ones, ask how they're really feeling and doing. People will then open up. I think just that simple caring and, and, and conversation helps spark ways of dealing with it and treating it. We can't all just wave the magic wand and fix everything. But by talking about it, we can help people come up with strategies to make some improvement and feel like they have some support and they don't feel so alone and separated, but that they have a community that can help them get through this. Just finally for today, David, how can our listeners connect with you? So um, maybe it's like what I did, perhaps through LinkedIn or Twitter, email. Maybe you're really cool and you're on TikTok and all these other new social platforms. And also, how can they learn more about all of the awesome things happening over at OC Tanner? 
Sure. Yeah. The best way for me too is, uh, is LinkedIn. Uh, love to hear uh, questions or issues or stories or examples of what you're doing. Um, I also have a Twitter account and uh, to be able to find information like our, our annual um, global culture report, which we put out every year, uh, you can go to octanner.com uh, to download a copy of that. Uh, it represents over 40,000 employees, 20 countries. What's the latest and greatest going on uh, with regard to uh, uh, culture and, and how to drive and create thriving workplace cultures? Awesome. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, David, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. I've had a lot of fun and I'm definitely, definitely going to be sending you another note on LinkedIn to get you back on later this year. But for now, listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and please do continue to stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.